welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to episode 58. A lot going on these days in the world of Counterpunch. And um, this is normally the part where I do a little bit of song, a little bit of dance, a little bit of shaking my proverbial moneymaker uh, as I ask people to uh, donate to Counterpunch. But I don't even really have to do that this week because I have two people to do all of that work for me, like the good capitalist that I am. I have... Joshua Frank, co-editor of Counterpunch, managing editor, as it were. And I also have Becky Grant, business manager at Counterpunch, to tell us all sorts of wonderful things about Counterpunch as we go into this fun drive or as we continue through this fun drive. Um, I try every, you know, couple of months or so, I want to try to focus on this uh, issue of alternative media, of Counterpunch, of the importance of maintaining these spaces. So happy to have these guys on the show with me. Josh, Becky. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Eric. Uh, so let's talk about this fund drive. What's happening? Why are you asking people for money? Why are you pestering us once again? Tell us about the fund drive. Tell us about what, um, where that money goes, why it's so important to give and to give what you can now. Uh, Becky, go. <laughs> well, um... Counterpunch doesn't run on its own. We, we've got a staff. We have three people in the, the business office doing administrative. Uh, and we have our three people doing editorial. Uh, that's Nat doing um, our um, social media. And then Josh. And he's a managing editor, as Eric said. And Jeff. And they keep the articles coming to you every day. Um, huge job and then the administrative work we have to deal with the bureaucracies we just keep the business office running sending out your orders keep subscriptions going um we have website expense and maintenance we have um uh andrew knopfsinger has been helping us with our website he created a new website for us and a new e-commerce site a few years ago and we're still that's a work in progress um it's getting a little closer, but it requires a lot of maintenance, um, up, upgrades uh, every week and um, updates um, all the time. Um, and just the administration across the um, cost of dealing with the bureaucracy of running a nonprofit and uh, a lot of customer service. We get people calling us from all over the country, all over the world every day, uh, emails to answer. Jeff and Josh get hundreds and hundreds of emails. Um, maybe Josh can add to that. Yeah, Josh, <laughs> go ahead and add to that. <laughs> well, yeah, just to, to, to pile on a little bit. I mean, we Counterpunch uh, gets about 2 million unique viewers a month. So that is a big drain on the bandwidth of the website. And, and every bit of that bandwidth costs money. And the more traffic that we have, the more it costs us to provide the day in day out material for free to everybody. And as anybody knows that comes to the site um, once, even once, they'll notice that we don't run advertisements other than uh, books on our sidebar that promote mostly stuff that we like and uh, books by writers that contribute to Counterpunch and that sort of thing. We're not inundating you with other advertisements like Facebook or other sites that you see, even those on the left. Um, so it's a it's a clean slate. We're not uh, corrupted by outside money. <laughs> we are we survive by small donations primarily from our readers. 
Um, and it, it kind of keeps the ship afloat. None of us are, are making six figure salaries and we, we really enjoy what we're doing and we love providing the material we provide. Uh, and we think it's an important, an important place as, as Eric, as you know, that people can come to for an, another perspective, um, even on the left. Uh, we every day are publishing material and uh, oftentimes that material um, causes a lot of curses you know, causes a lot of debate. Um, and, and that's what we're here for. And I think that that's what we want to continue to do. And, and we can't do it without uh, raising money every year. And we, we don't enjoy the process of raising money, but it's a necessary evil. You know, one of the things that I wanted to just point out for listeners, because it might not necessarily be uh, something you think of immediately, but um, as somebody who has done a website, as somebody who has some kind of an online presence, I can tell you that there's a huge difference between something like my own site that I that I put together, you know, basically single-handedly for no money, and a site like Counterpunch, you know, that when, when you have a website like Counterpunch, where you have so many people coming, you have all of these different features including you know archives for each individual writer you have uh, searchable you know a search bar where you can search by authors by keywords and all sorts of things every single one of those tiny little features costs money and all of those uh, things they really begin to add up that's why you know it, it's not like people from counterpunch want to just constantly ask for money but the reality is that to run a website like that it's not like a WordPress site this this is a legit site that requires requires an investment. Right, yeah, that's right. right. And I'm sure Becky can talk a little bit about how those expenses have changed over the years uh, from how it was back in, you know, 10 years ago to what it's become today. Yeah, when we first started, um, Jeff took out a, a, a website. He, he purchased a page basically for 10 bucks and it costs about 5,000 times that now to put a website like ours together. It, like like Eric was just saying, it's expansive. We have a huge archive. And just maintaining a site that's robust enough to handle all the viewers, to handle the new articles that go up um, every day, and um, an e-commerce site costs a lot of money. And, um, and yeah, none of us are making a lot of money. We're... Um, we're, we run on a, a, a tiny uh, budget. It's very lean, and we just have this intensely dedicated staff. Um, and um, we ask you every year because it, it's because we need money. We we don't have like cash reserves. We don't have uh, big foundations promising us money. And and um, because of that, we also don't have um, the one percenters trying to tell us what to put on the site. It's Josh and Jeff put up what they what they um, think needs to go up. And so um, it's truly independent. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's really important, I think, to highlight. As Josh was saying um, a few moments ago, you know, if you go, if you travel the, you know, the media landscape of the alternative media, whether it's like of the, you know, far crazy, you know, Infowars type, or whether it's just individual blogs or, you know, somewhere in between, you're often going to be barraged with these like really kind of scammy, kind of scummy advertisements for like, you know, so, you know, food supplements or colloidal silver suppositories or God knows what else they're hawking. And it, 
I, at least for me personally, it really cheapens the politics of it. It, it. it feels like you're kind of walking through like a carnival sideshow. And I always sort of feel a little bit put off by stuff like that. And to be perfectly honest, I can't think of any websites other than Counterpunch that really exist in the alternative media space that don't hawk those kind of products. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, we don't have the interest-based advertising and, and that does feel icky. You're at a website and you just thought about something and there it is being hawked to you on the sidebar of, of any number of news sites. And, and we don't have clickbait either. What we have, we have actual articles and we're not a a cut and paste operation either. We have, you know, new pieces every day that you're not going to find anywhere. And if you do eventually find it somewhere, it's likely somebody put it up without asking us so um right and, and you know a lot of other sites and i won't name names but if you subscribe to their email lists oftentimes they'll be using your emails to send you uh you know pitches for donating to certain campaigns or other things and we don't do that um we use our email list to promote our articles and our magazine and our books and then also to hit people up during the fun drive. Other than that, we aren't selling our you know email list to others, and we weren't, aren't running outside advertisements on our emails as well. So we aren't uh, abusing uh, people like a lot of the other sites out there do. You know, and the interesting thing too is that uh, those sites that do that oftentimes are the same ones that are hooked up with the foundations, and they're all part of. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, painting a picture of a of a vast conspiracy so much as I'm saying that this is how the system works. If you take that foundation money and you are sort of beholden to that world, to that system, you're inevitably going to get tied into establishment politics, establishment politicians establishment movements like oh i don't know raising money for democrats yeah. <laughs> yeah you won't be seeing that from counterpunch and we are not even going to be raising money for any candidates i mean we are a 501c3 we don't uh endorse candidates we uh, are going to hold everybody's feet to the fire the same and i think that's what makes us stand out um especially among our counterparts on the web Becky, I want to I want to yeah. shift gears a little bit and I want to ask you a question that truthfully I've always kind of wondered um what what's a day what's a day look like at Counterpunch? What is a typical business day at Counterpunch like? What is the process between, you know, that very first thing in the morning to uh, you know, closing the doors in the evening? Uh, well, I get in and I start checking my email and we get emails from all over, um, a lot of customer service right off the bat, people wondering where their subscription to their magazine is or when the next issue comes out, people who um, want, and then we phone messages from people wanting us to um, call them back about subscribing. Um, we get people who are looking to get in touch with writers. They have a story they want to tell. They want to be put in touch with any number of writers. Um, so a lot of editorial calls. Um, and then dealing with the, um, you know, the everyday things of managing a business. Um, sometimes it's a little more entertaining, I think. We get a lot of um, um, calls from, from, you know, really exciting people from all over the world who um, are interested in in what counterpunch has to say um 
And then um, fulfilling subscriptions, fulfilling orders. Um, during the fund drive, we get lots of calls from donators. Um, you know, sometimes it's somebody who's on a fixed income. They're um, living um, on a really tight budget, but they read Counterpunch every day and they just want to give $5 a month, you know. So, and, and sometimes it's somebody, you know, who has more money than that. And um, maybe we'll get a call from Margot Kidder. That's really exciting. Um, and then, um, who I love. Yeah, I adore Margo. <laughs> I haven't seen her yet this year, but she's really fun. Um, and then I, I do the production on the magazine. So some, some weeks we're working on our magazine, and that means um, putting in the articles for Jeff and Josh. Um, going to the mail. We're, Petrolia is, uh, we're in Petrolia. The business office is in Petrolia, and um, we have one person who works at our at our post office, and it's a tiny little affair there. So we go to the mail, um, and just rarely do we have a customer stop by um, because we are rural. But um, that's kind of how it goes. It's mostly dealing with um, the people who need to get in touch with us. I want to follow up on that in a, in, a, in a minute, but Josh, I want to hear from you. Um, what's your what's your regular work day like? I mean, I can only imagine how much stuff you have to sift through, how to determine what goes up, what you got to hold till the next day, what isn't going up, that sort of stuff. To walk us through a little bit what what kind of work you do. Sure. I mean, Jeff and I we we split the editorial duties um, and. If you come to Counterpunch often, you know how many articles we're running every day. Uh, we're running about 15 on average during the week, and then on the weekends, more like 50. So you you multiply that, and we're somewhere around, I don't even know, like 800 articles a week or something crazy. Uh, so it just, it really, maybe that's a little high, but it's, it's really ridiculous how much material we put out there. And it's also fantastic at the same time. But with that, we have to edit as best we can articles, format articles, uh, add photos to articles, make sure the links are functioning, get those articles scheduled so that they are there in the morning when people log on to their computers and check counterpunch as the first thing when they wake up um, to have the fresh news of the day. And uh, to provide that means that we have to continually be posting articles throughout the day because we don't have deadlines for our writers. They submit articles to us when they're ready. And at sometimes it could be at, at early in the morning or it could be at 10 p.m. at night. And depending on the news cycle, we want to you know provide that material. So Jeff and I will definitely be putting articles up uh, all hours of the day almost. So it's uh, it's a constant thing, but we enjoy doing it. And you know we, we'll, we'll work seven days a week to provide that material. We're, in order to have that Monday edition ready to go, we're on Sunday afternoons, we're putting that together. So we don't stop, but I think that it it, it shows. And uh, just to put it in perspective, the other other websites that don't even have as much traffic as we do, that don't even you know provide as much material to their readers, have large staffs of you know six at least six people working on the back end, getting articles ready. Um, and then in this case, you know, it's really just Jeff and I, and then Nat is helping out. Uh, with some of the back end stuff and then, you know, promoting all of those articles on social media, which is a total job in, in, in and of itself. Um, and this is aside from uh, the magazine that we put out as well and the books that we put out. So it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a big load and, um, you know, we're trying to stay ahead of the curve, but uh, 
we can't do it without the support of our readers. Well, and you just hit on something that I wanted to ask you about, and I've been meaning to ask you guys about for a while. Um, the print magazine, you know, I'm always pushing the print magazine partially because it's a good way to help fund Counterpunch when you're not doing the fund drive. And you, if you don't want to just, you know, straight donate, but actually get something out of it, um, you know, other than satisfaction, of course. So, but the other thing is that, I mean, in, in some ways, it's almost like a museum piece. You know what I mean? I mean, print publications are like, dinosaurs at this point and counterpunch is still putting out a print magazine and i want to ask why counterpunch is still doing that were there uh internal discussions had among the uh you know the editorial board and and, and counterpunch broadly editorial board the two of you and uh uh you know the, the counterpunch staff did you guys discuss scrapping the magazine like so many others have before you uh tell us a little bit about that and about where you stand on the magazine today Becky. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, we talk about scrapping the magazine all the time because the magazine is a lot of work, but we have um, pretty uh, dedicated core of um, subscribers who are with us still and have been with us for many years and they like reading paper. Not everybody, there's, believe it or not, there's some people who still want to hold a nice piece of uh paper magazine in their hand and, and read through it cover to cover and we still have those readers and and we put it out for them but we also like putting it together um it's not it used to be a uh it used to be a good form of income for us but now that a lot of our subscribers are digital and um most of our readers you know only a half a percent of our readers donate and it's about that uh percentage of our um readers who also subscribe to the magazine too so um so yeah it's uh, we're on the verge of scrapping it i'd love to see us get to 25 years we're we're on um we're we're about to go to our 24th volume and i think it would be fantastic if we could say we gave it a good shot for um 25 years um and hopefully we'll be able to hang in there we've changed a lot it used to be six pages uh twice a month and except for during july and august they didn't ever they used to have take a break then but now we're six times a year so it's quite a few um it's less issues than we used to do but um the magazine is a lot longer it's six times as long and it's still ad free more or less we have a couple of ads we have an ad on the back page usually but that's all writing with a few, just a few pictures in there and um some of our writers like to do the um, print magazine too. And I, I encourage people who have never subscribed to the magazine to give it a, give it a shot. It's nice to be able to carry it around. You, you can read it yourself and then give it to somebody and let them know about Counterpunch. It's a good way to spread the word. Yeah, indeed. And I have to say, I really appreciate getting the magazine as well. I mean, I, I, I hammer it relentlessly on this show because I... I'm a person who also likes to have the physical item and it's not just with magazines and it's not just with books. I'm the same way with records. I'm the same way with my music. I'm the same way with a lot of things. And to me, there is something that there is a certain kind of permanence to the physical object that I really appreciate and just comes to my mind as I'm sitting here uh, this week, desperately trying to, um, you know, re recapture a bunch of digital music that may, I may have lost forever that 
that uh, took years to compile that now may be gone forever. And here I am looking at all my records thinking, well, those aren't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, you know, Jeff and I definitely have the same uh, feelings about the print magazine. We both love the print magazine and as long, we're going to do it as long as we can do it. Um, but it, the costs of the print magazine at a certain point, hopefully won't outweigh what we're making off of it. You know, or, I mean, we're lucky to break even, um, printing costs are obviously high and shipping costs are high. So all of those things play into it. Um, but it's still alive and it's still out there and we're really proud of it. And I think the content is phenomenal. Um, and, uh, a lot of people that are, I think anybody that gets exposed to it wants it. You know, and so I think that's the benefit of the of the print magazine. I don't think there's anything quite like it out there. Counterpunch has been around for a while now, and um, I think that the media, the media in general, and the alternative media specifically, has changed so much as Counterpunch has sort of been this like constant. And I just want to get your guys's take on that, Becky. Like, what have you noticed in? not just in terms of uh, business trends, but just in general in the media over these last couple decades as Counterpunch has evolved. What changes have you noticed? Uh, and is Counterpunch um, resisting some of that? Is it going with the flow on other things? How do you how do you see Counterpunch's evolution? Well, that, that might be a better one for, for Josh to answer, but um, I... I... It seems to be, to me, um, everything is like a, a tabloid now, you know, it, and, and Counterpunch hasn't changed. Uh, Counterpunch, um, like J uh, Josh said early, earlier, we just ho are holding everybody's feet to the fire. We always have had um, sometimes even op opposing views, you know, on the, on the same day on the website. And um, so we people can come to us to hear, find a, a completely different view. But... It seems like, um, you know, there's just so much clickbait out there and people uh, people don't want to read long articles anymore. Like 2,500 words, forget it. They want it. They want, you know, a tweet. So um, I think Alex used to call it the Twitter, Twitter sphere or blogosphere. You know, I think that that's been a huge change. Um, and and so as far, you know, as the editorial thing goes, I think I think that's what I've noticed the most. Josh, I, I, I want to just pose the same question to you because I know you've kind of traveled the media landscape and the you know the political landscape of the left for a number of years now. What changes have you noticed and, and how do you see Counterpunch either pushing against that, going with that, maybe both? Well, you know, I think that what has happened uh, aside from Counterpunch is what you've seen with a lot of these other sites out there that especially during an election year, all of a sudden the sort of the, the tone of the content changes, right? You'll see, you'll see a shift um, and you'll see less articles perhaps, uh, un, you know, unwilling to sort of criticize the Democrats. Um, and, and Counterpunch has been this, this beacon, right? It's been a cornerstone for a long time. And it's, it's uh, thanks in large part to Jeff, you know, Jeff's, you know, point of view and, and Alex, which, you know, back in, I guess it would have been in two, 2004, I guess they, they, you know, published Dimes Worth of Difference, a book that basically took on the Democrats 
and this was in the middle of the Bush administration. I mean, very unpopular perhaps to do that, but it's also very important. We're the one of the only publications that are going to you're going to come and get the truth about what's going on, uh, a left perspective of what's going on with the Hillary campaign, right? You're going to come to Counterpunch to find out and find out what might be some of the criticisms criticisms of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Counterpunch has always been that, and we are going to continue to be that. And I think a lot of the other left uh, wing sites out there are unwilling to do that. And we provide this forum where we can have this kind of debate. And I hear it all the time. I mean, that people just love being able to come to Counterpunch to find that article that they that totally encompasses their argument so that they can send it to their friends and their relatives and say, hey, this is why I'm not going to vote for Hillary, right? Or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I think we're going to continue to do that. And, and I think that's the one of the big strong suits of Counterpunch. Definitely. And I think that the other thing that, at least for me, uh, is so is so relevant as far as as far as Counterpunch goes is that there's nobody's line in Counterpunch, you know, and I, without getting without getting too specific, I I could think of many different sites, many different outlets that are in various ways beholden to those people that fund them, whether it's the Russian government or whether it's some U.S.-based foundation or whether it's, you know, the Qatari royal family or what have you. You know, all of these different, all of these different sites, all of these different outlets, they're beholden to a, partic a particular political line, and Counterpunch isn't. And that's part of the reason why uh, you have all of the things that you just mentioned, the pushback against the establishment of the liberals uh, the pushback against you know sort of the, the the popular flavor of the of the month when it was bernie sanders or what have you that's one of the things i think that people really respond to about counterpunch yeah and, and not only that but also ideology right i mean we're going to be uh coming from all kinds of perspectives from the from the left we don't just have one viewpoint and we are the largest uh english left website in the world and we have people reading Counterpunch and donating to Counterpunch and subscribing to Counterpunch from all corners of the world. And that's a testament to the material that we have and to the viewpoints. We have, I think, something like a quarter of our writers don't even live in the U.S. So you're going to come to Counterpunch and get perspectives that you're not going to find anywhere else. And I think that's a really important thing. And, you know, and sometimes it makes it um, it's it's hard in, in, a, in some senses because we, you start having to think about things a little differently than we're than we're used to, but that's the beauty of counterpunch is that it challenges everybody's perspective. Absolutely, and the other thing that I just want to note, and this has been commented to me by a number of people, is that they really appreciate Counterpunch because although it is, it does have this international perspective, it is so uniquely American. I mean, it it, it does clearly, I think, um, highlight some of the. Um, you know, tendencies and ideologies and internal perspectives and whatever of the U.S. left, which, you know, like it or not, oftentimes not, uh, is important. And people around the world oftentimes want to get a window into what are the what are communists and socialists and anarchists and progressives and all these other people in the U.S. What do they think about what's going on? Right. And at Counterpunch we're going to work hard to continue to be that platform. Definitely. Um, okay, let's take a quick break. On the other side of the break, I want to I want to hear your um 
you know, your creation myth, as it were. I want to hear how people got into Counterpunch. Uh, and uh, so anyway, we'll we'll read from the Counterpunch's book of Genesis on the other side of the break. You're listening to Counterpunch Radio. Be right back. No, no, the living Here on Counterpunch Radio, I am chatting with Joshua Frank and Becky Grant of Counterpunch. We are in the middle of a very important fun drive. I uh, implore people to give what you can. I know uh, times are difficult financially. They certainly are for me. I can say with a high level of certainty that would be true for other people on the Counterpunch staff as well. Uh, We know how difficult things are, but we also know the importance of maintaining our spaces online maintaining that uh, alternative media sanctuary that is Counterpunch. And so go on the website, use your credit card, use your PayPal, get, uh, pick up the phone and give them a call and um, do whatever you can, give whatever you can. It is fulfilling. You'll feel good about it. And, um, you know, and it's also and it's also a write off. Or a nonprofit. Yeah, so. not to, not to <laughs> exactly, not to make it too self-interested, but it's also a tax. It's also a tax right. Let's see, you know, it's it's a little, it's a little less money that goes into the war machine, so yeah, that's exactly. a, you can feel good. You can feel good about that as well. Exactly. See, there's my there's my partner in crime on this telethon <laughs> here that we're that we're running. Um, okay, I have a question, Becky. How did you? 
come to Counterpunch. What is your story? Tell us how you got involved with this project. Okay. Um, I started uh, working for Alex in Alex Coburn, our former editor um, and founding one of the founding editors of Counterpunch along with Ken Silverstein. I started working for him in 1997. He, um, he was still using a typewriter then. And he he needed somebody to type his articles in and use a computer to um, use this new fangled email. And so I had a computer and I knew I even had an email address back then. And that was kind of unusual in our rural enclave here. And, and so um, he hired me to do that. And it was a couple of times a week. And I was sending his articles all over to um, the nation to uh, uh, Anderson Valley Advertiser, to the Creator Syndicate, and um, he would he would fax me a typed article or drive it over to the drive it over to our house. We lived a couple miles away, and I would type it into the computer, and then I would fax it back to him, and he would do the edits. Uh, he would write the edits in, and I would type it in and fax it back. And then, and then um, he would get, you know, we'd finalize usually over the telephone, uh, usually very late at night after a dinner party or something. And then he, um, and then I would um, email it and it, or there were even some pre-email forms of communication, you know, where I would upload. Carrier pigeons. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was some kind of pre, I don't even remember what it was called. It was that long ago. It's going on um, next Next February, it'll be 20 years ago that I started working for Alex. And so um, so at one point shortly after that, maybe a year after I was working for him, he said, oh, and I started doing a little bit of, um, I don't know, just started doing a, a few things, some transcribing and things like that for Counterpunch during that time. And then he said uh, that he was going to move the business office of Counterpunch to Petrolia and do I want to take on the bookkeeping? It would be a couple hours a week at the very most. And I had little kids then and I said that I could do it. But of course, he had no idea um, what it took to run a business. And so I've kind of been doing it ever since. Um, it was, a, you know, it's been a big project, big, like nearly 20 year project. So and then Jeff came on at the same time. I think I'm sure Alex and Jeff knew each other and Jeff was working um, with Alex before then. And um, yeah, so worked with Alex for 15 years. And that was a wild ride because it always was with Alex. He, he was a, lots of fun. He always loved the fun drive because he liked getting all this, uh, the love from all of our readers. And um, yeah, he was, it was amazing to work for him. I, uh, you know, I, he was a great friend and confidant, but also, um, uh, kind of my boss and yeah, that's where, that's where it all got started. It's so, it, it's so interesting. Josh, how about you? How did you come to Counterpunch? You know, I, uh, like you, I, Eric, I, uh, was a contributor to Counterpunch. I think the first article maybe, uh, I wrote and submitted to Jeff was in like 2002 or something like that. Um, I, I came to know Counterpunch, obviously, uh, I think during the, the Nader campaign in 2000, it was one of the few places you could go to really get some good criticism on, on Gore. And that was the same time that Jeff and Alex published their book on Al Gore. Um, and so I, I knew of Counterpunch, obviously, through through that. And 
uh, I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, which is where Jeff is. And um, Jeff also obviously is, is one of the premier investigative environmental journalists, and he was writing and investigating a lot of the stuff that was going on in the Pacific Northwest um, in the late 90s and through that period uh, in the timber wars and also in Northern California. And I was very involved in a lot of those struggles. And uh, Jeff was sort of the go-to source uh, at that time. So Counterpunch was always on the radar, always on the map. And I, I ended up um, you know, contributing for years. And Jeff and I did edit a couple of books together. Um, and then I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to come on board, um, I guess, like four years ago now, maybe. And it's been great. And, and we've evolved a lot, um, I think, since then. Um, and I'm sure it's going to continue to evolve. And it's, it's exciting. It's a fun. It's a really fun team. We all really get along well, um, probably because we don't work in the same office together. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we enjoy getting together as often as we can. And um, I think everybody brings a unique pr perspective to the table. And it's, it's a really fun. It's, I couldn't imagine working anywhere else. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's every day is gratifying, even if we're, if we're angry about something. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, um, you know, uh, Alex Coburn has been gone now for a few years. And for those of us, including me, who didn't know him personally, it's like, you know, it's he's he's begun to take on at least, you know, for the small the, the, the small corner of the world that pays attention to counterpunch, he's almost taken on a quasi mythical status, you know, and I, I just want to know, um, tell us tell us one really really interesting or really funny or you know just really unique thing about Alex maybe an experience that you had that uh sticks out in your mind give people a flavor of who Alex was and what kind of uh character he brought to Counterpunch yeah well I mean he definitely kind of has rock star status I mean, to me, he does, but um, people, yeah, people used to always say, what's it like working for Alexander Coburn? And um, my response always was um, that he, you know, the counterpunch and the nation and all, you know, all of that was one part of Alex, but it was such a small part. Alex was uh, a gardener and a landscape designer, and he um, was really, and he, he was a patron of the arts and he made a beautiful homestead here on the Lost Coast. Um, he was a fantastic cook. He um, would have the, the the best parties that Petrolia ever saw, huge parties, invited the whole town, <laughs> and he would make giant cauldrons of gumbo for everybody. He, he was not, he didn't want potlucks. He wanted to feed everybody himself. And um, he was really into fashion. He loved to, he loved to wear like um, French jeans, his shirt unbuttoned, pumas. He loved pumas. He called himself a puma slut. And um, <laughs> he was just a really fun guy. He was like my best girlfriend. He was so fun to talk to. And, um, you know, usually we weren't talking about counterpunch. Usually we were having the latest um, gossip session and looking at new plants in the gar garden, talking about roses and salvias and um, maybe having a glass of wine. And he was just so much fun. He was he was really was a great person. He loved to um, go into town and go um, to the shoe repair uh, place and meet with that person. And then he all the women at the bank knew him. They were <laughs> 
grocery store. Every everybody wherever he went, he had friends because he was just so damn charming and um, so much fun. So Josh, maybe I, I don't. I think a lot of people might not uh, might not know. Were you with Counterpunch when Alex was uh, still you know still still working on Counterpunch? Did you come in after? When when did you um when did you come in the picture? And what kind of interaction did you have with Alex? Um, yeah, I guess I, I definitely, I wasn't officially on board, um, when Alex was, um, at the helm, uh, of Counterpunch with Jeff, I, but I definitely was contributing and I, I knew Alex. I, the first time I met Alex, I think was in uh, New York and they were, he was on tour promoting the politics of anti-Semitism and had a great conversation with them and went out to dinner uh, in the village with him. And of course it was not just him. It was with, uh, eight of his, you know, fans, adoring fans who all happened to be women. And, <laughs> and it was just, it was, it was awesome. You know, I mean, it, he, even at that point he had a mythical status, uh, and we, we butted heads over different things like climate change and whatnot, but that was the beauty of Alex that he always brought, you know, he brought out the best in everybody, I think. And that was sort of a gift that he, he had. And, and you, I think it shows in Counterpunch, and I think that Jeff and I work really hard to keep that Coburn spirit alive. Um, I think it's alive and well in Jeff, and I try to glean as much as I can from it. And I think that we're going to, you know, continue to be uh, relevant because Coburn is still the heartbeat of, of our editorial slant and, I, and our writers as well. I mean, there are so many of our writers that uh, go back with Alex years and years and have relationships with them and they keep his spirit alive as well. And so I think anybody that was touched by Alex, whether they read his columns way back when in the village voice, or they uh, came across him in the wall street journal or the nation magazine or wherever else, they can still come to counterpunch to get a little bit of that. And, you know, no one's ever going to replace Alex. There's just no, there's absolutely no way. Um, but that doesn't mean his spirit can't still live on, live on. And, and I'm sure a lot of our readers would agree that um, it's still alive and well in, in the politics of Counterpunch. Indeed. You know, it, I'm, I'm just, I'm actually holding right now my copy of um, Coburn's Corruptions of Empire, you know, and um, mm -hmm. you, read, you read any of Alex's stuff and it's like, if you're, if you're familiar at all with it, it's almost like, he's almost like Hunter Thompson in a sense, because it's like you, you read a paragraph and there's no mistaking who wrote that. You know, it's a very, it's a very sort of signature kind of style, a certain attitude, a certain flair in the writing. And in, in my view, it's that sort of, that's kind of what you're getting at, Josh, is that sort of attitude that is kind of built into Counterpunch. And the other thing that, that, that I think is very true of Alex that has kind of become, um, I guess you could say embedded in the DNA of Counterpunch is, is that it's not just a political magazine. It's not just a political website. It also has a literary quality to it. And there are a lot of people uh, it, who contribute to Counterpunch who I think, like Alex, see uh, writing as not simply informing, but as doing it with a certain style. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's uh, a credit to Alex and obviously a credit to Jeff. They were both English lit majors and, <laughs> and and they take writing very seriously. And I think uh, our writers do as well. And I think that's why you can come to Counterpunch and find 
the, the most engaging writing and oftentimes the most infuriating, right? I mean, it's you will read articles on Counterpunch. Oftentimes, I don't always agree with our own writers, but I love reading them. And that's what's so unique about Counterpunch, uh, that where you're, you're not going to just come in and get your basic digestion of propaganda. You're going to come and be informed, enlightened, uh, angry, <laughs> and uh, your, your blood pressure might go up a little bit. And that's that's the point of Counterpunch. And that's why we're so fun. Your blood pressure goes up being a contributor too. Believe me. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and here's here's a quote. I, I just someone sent it to me uh, earlier today. Um, it's it's you know Tom Hayden, the the great activist, of course, in the '60s and maybe not so much later, but uh, passed away. And here's a quote from Alex that he wrote in the Village Voice in July of 1982. Uh, in the halls of the National Gallery in Washington, there are 46 portraits of Benedict Arnold. None look alike, yet they all resemble Tom Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, that's the gift of Alex, you know, and that's the spirit of Alex. And I think that's, <laughs> you know, that's hard to match, of course, but we do our best. Absolutely. <laughs> that is good. Um, okay, uh, Becky, I want to ask you one final question, um, if I could. If you could change, if you could change one thing about the situation with Counterpunch now, what would it be? Wow. Well, I mean, I I don't like that we have to put out a begging bowl every year. I guess um, if we, you know, if if we just could keep doing this, and um, you know, we weren't we we didn't need money, or if you know the money was just there, um, that would be great because I I don't like pestering our um, readers. And, and it's, you know, there's the people who, who donate and, um, they say, Hey, I've already gotten this, um, reminder, you know, I, I donated, you know, I, how many more times are you going to remind me? And, um, yeah, I, I hate to feel like a pest, but, um, we've got to do it. So I guess that's the one thing I'd like to, it would be nice if we didn't have to do that. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, just for, for, for people to remember counterpunch isn't, isn't invited to the George Soros sleepover parties. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's not that, that money is not coming in any other way, but by asking for it, Josh, one thing you could change about the situation with counterpunch, either counterpunch, uh, you know, the project counterpunch financially or whatever. What's one thing that if you could change it, if you could have it your way, what would that be? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I, I thank you. You know, I, I think I think you're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I you know I think just to to sort of piggyback off of what Becky said. I mean, we aren't asking for more than we need, and if we are to reach our goal, the fund drive will end. And I want people to know that that we are using every dollar that they give us, whether someone gives us five dollars and skips the latte for the week or or more than that. Every dollar will be put to good use and it's not being wasted. And I think what people have to consider is that every time that they give to Counterpunch, they're giving to everybody because they're supporting this material that will make its way across the interwebs to people that don't know of Counterpunch, don't know about these issues. Uh, it will make its way into inboxes of people that we don't agree with that might be engaged and might even be open to changing their opinions on something. So it, it, it has a lot of influence. And I think, you know, I hate to, I hate to, you know, put out a scare tactic. It's not what it's meant to be. Um, but it's reality, you know, counterpunch, we, we, we don't meet our fund drive goals, um, 
now or in the future, we'll have to scale back what we do and what we provide. And I'd hate to see, you know, our content be diminished because of that. Um, and I can, I know that our readers out there, especially our core readers, um, and a, a lot of others as well that come to Counterpunch um, often, it would feel a void if we weren't there to provide an alternative to the alternative, as it might be. So I think people need to consider that a little bit. And, you know, I don't think people have a lot of problems going out and you know spending $6 on a nice beer or $6 on a latte or pay $80 to their internet company for, for content, you know, but we're the content. We're the reason you give money and pay those bills every month. And we only ask once a year. So here we are, you know, asking for a little bit. And if you, if people can do it, great. And if they can't right now, that's okay. We understand. Um, maybe you can in the future. Um, but those that can, please, you know, please donate a little bit and know that it's going to a good cause. Absolutely. Well, I, I just want to say really quickly, sort of, a, I guess, a little anecdote that illustrates my thoughts about uh, Counterpunch and about the importance of giving during this fund drive, especially. Um, I can recall uh, six, being a 16-year-old kid. I'm 33 now. Uh, being a 16-year-old kid and uh, finding this, uh, this, this website called Counterpunch and uh, going on there and reading about Serbia and the bombing going on in Serbia and not understanding what the heck was going on. I thought this was a good thing. I thought we were doing a good thing. And I remember finding a website that had people who were telling me, nope, not a good thing. In fact, war, bad. In fact, Bill Clinton, also not good. You know, giving a perspective that it was so radically different. And I, 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 I think that, um, how many spaces, how many spaces are there for 16 year olds anymore that, that they can go and they can learn a bit. That's right. And I can't tell you how many people email us and, and thank us and how many young people, um, you know, after the Sanders campaign diminished and got absorbed into the, the sponge of the Democrats, that stinky, you know, spoiled sponge of the Democratic Party that were emailing us saying, oh, my goodness, thank God you guys exist, that I finally have some rational, you know, some place to go that's telling it like it is. And I wish I would have found this earlier, you know, but I just tell them, well, you found us now and I'm glad you're here. And I and we're going to continue to be that that place for people a, a refuge as it may be from the storm. That's exactly not to not to not to you know steal Dylan's line, but <laughs> yeah, he he won't mind. Um, <laughs> Can't get a hold of him anyway. He's not so. returning the calls anyway. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I, I just. I want to I want to thank you guys for all the hard work you do. Like I I don't want to give people the wrong impression here. I don't do even one tenth the amount of work that these guys do uh, for Counterpunch. I, I I put together the podcast and and whatever, but that's just one small component of a much larger project. And I think that uh, people should really consider just how much hard work goes into it just how hard uh josh and becky and jeff and everybody works to keep counterpunch going and uh take this opportunity to express your appreciation to help keep the project going josh frank becky grant thanks so much for coming on the show and talking with me 
Thanks, Thanks Eric. Sarah. I, I also want to just take a second and thank Jeffrey, who is, as everybody knows, our, our great editor, our editor-in-chief, and uh, Deva, who manages our e-commerce site. She does a great job um, keeping up with the customers and keeping the, the cart going. Um, and Nat St. Clair, he does our social media, and he, he does a great job with that. And he is um, letting the, the younger generation know that there's somewhere for them to go to, to become informed. Uh, we have a new person, Nicole Stevens, who's helping out in the office. Andrew Nofsinger has been doing our website. And thank you, Eric, for doing our fantastic podcast. Oh, stop it now. Um, thank you. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Everyone counterpunch fund drive. So important. Give now while, while, while the, uh, given's good as it were. Um, and as always, thanks again for tuning in. I should have all of my technical stuff figured out here and got lots more good guests coming in the, uh, in, in the coming weeks. So thanks as always speak to you soon. <laughs>